Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. So you've got me again tonight. <laughs> um, I'll try not to be too long or too boring for those of particularly who've been working all day. But I do have something to say. Um, also appreciate the stuff we get back from people who watch online. We appreciate you as well and thank you. Keep giving us your feedback and uh, want to minister to you. So. Um, I want to talk to you about something very, very specific tonight. Moments are never just moments. So, so things happen in our life. They happen in the moment, but moments are never just moment. That, that's just the point of, of realization of something. So I want to talk a little bit about, about me and my family, first of all. So this, this is a picture of... The chubby cheek little fellow on the left is my dad. That's Albert. And uh, the girl next to him is his younger sister, uh, Frances. And uh, the skinny, skinny lad is, uh, is my uncle Bill, my, my, my dad's elder brother, <coughs> Bill. Um, I would draw your attention particularly to their knees. Uh, you can tell we lived in a mining area that's taken outside their house in Carlton Street in South Kirby, probably about 1932 uh, or 3. And the shoes, and, and the clothes. Um, I might say, well, that's before they went in the wash. When you've got one set of clothes, they can't go in the wash until Saturday, and then they're being washed ready for Sunday, and then you need them for school Monday. So I'm gonna leave that up just for a minute, because um, uh, I, I grew up in a, a developed state of confusion. Um, and the confusion with this, I was Anth Chapman, and uh, my mum and dad were Albert and Doreen Chapman, but my grandmothers, because both my grandfathers had already passed away, my grandmothers were plat and smart. So I was getting a little confused, because I'm Chapman, we're Chapman, but they're plat and smart. Now, now it got even more confusing, because, because my, my great-grandparents were called Hobson, Hayward, and Morley. So great-grandparents, Hobson, Hayward, Morley. My grandparents, Platt and Smart, and we're Chapman. I, I'm trying to figure this out as a kid because it, it just, I couldn't figure how all this hung together and, and why this was the case. But um, as I got a little older, I found out why. Because my great-grandmother was a servant in the home of a wealthy family in South Yorkshire. And uh, she got pregnant. And she was just 19, she got pregnant. And um, because she got pregnant, she was instantly dismissed from her job as a servant. And um, 
That being 1901, her parents didn't want her back. They said, you can't come home because the level of uh, shame and condemnation that was attached to that kind of behavior in those days and the communal shame that a family would come under because, because their daughter had gotten pregnant was so much that now she's lost a job and, and a family didn't want her. And so with no home, my great-grandmother, no job, disowned by a family, and evidently deserted by her friends, because there's no list of people who said, oh, it's all right, Liz, you can come stay with us. My, my great-grandmother, Elizabeth Chapman, was her name, actually gave birth to my grandfather, William Chapman, on the 30th of July, 1902, in Hemsworth Workhouse. How many of you have ever watched Oliver Twist? Or, or read any of the Dickens stories, like Great Expectations, and, 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 and experienced this place called the Workhouse, or the Poor House, which is where in Victorian times, if you had no family, no money, no home, you got put in the Poor House, and it, it was not, it was not, a five-star, a four-star, a three-star, a two-star, or even a one-star accommodation. It was the basic of all. The food, the accommodation, everything was very basic because you were a cast-off of society. And so it was in a humble workhouse in Emsworth, South Yorkshire, that my grandfather, William Chapman, was, was born. So what you will have gathered by now is that my name Chapman is a maternal name and not a paternal name. It doesn't come from a male in our family, it comes from a female in our family, my great-grandmother, because, because my granddad, who I never met, my granddad Bill, was born out of wedlock. So, I have inserted into my story and I could suggest because, because being a descendant of somebody is a lot more than just, you know, a physical thing like pressing out buns with a cake press, that I have genes within me, within my emotion, within my being, of shame and rejection and poverty. Now, Elizabeth, my, my great-grandmother, married an older man called Ernest Hayward. Hence the reason why the name then changed. What is sad is that when you look at the 1911 census and you there see that my great-grandmother was now married to this man, Ernest Hayward, and was now Elizabeth Hayward, that when he talks about the residents in the house, you have William Chapman, son, eight years old. Yeah, William Chapman, son, eight years old. What does that mean? It means that even though my great-grandmother had married someone else, my great-grandfather was not adopted into that family. He remained a Chapman while his mother became a Hayward. Now, the shame was attached to the name. But great-grandma managed to get rid of the name 
but my grandfather never did. And so my grandfather was growing up not adopted, with a name different to his mother, with the maternal name, with the continuing shame, and to put it bluntly, he was the bastard son of Lizzie Hayward. William Chapman was the bastard son of Lizzie Hayward. That's in my background. That's in my genes. That's been inserted into my story that brings me to this day. See, moments and never just moments. It would also appear that the suspected father of my grandfather, a guy called George Heppenstall, how do I know who the suspected grandfather was? Because he was fired at the same time as my great-grandmother was fired and turns up in the census again, not where he was in South Yorkshire, but now in Derbyshire. And uh, he was then, um, uh, um, uh, this George Eppenstall um, pops up again in the 1911 census, who's married now, but he has a son. But his son is down as Fred Cook. So within that story, it continues. My great-grandmother marries Hayward, but my father keeps the name and the shame. This man goes away and marries someone else, but there's a son in that relationship, just the same, not owned. Orphan. Now my grandfather went on to marry my grandmother, Hilda Morley. And my dad was born in December 1926. Then, if that all wasn't enough, my great-grandfather, my dad's father, was tragically killed in a cycling accident when dad was just four. So as if it wasn't enough, all the story that was happening, all that was inserted in the story, this man who I never met, obviously my great-grandfather, William or Bill, Chapman riding his bike down a hill, the brakes failed, he couldn't control the bike, went off, hit a post, cracked his skull, died of a brain hemorrhage. My father's four years old. And then a few months later, several months later, when my father is sat on the curb outside the house that they were pictured at there in, in Carlton Street in South Kirby, you could call it a family home, but it was a pit house. Rented, struggling to pay the rent. And grandma, my grandma, dad's mom, came home holding hands with the man and announced to my dad, sat on the step outside the house, this is your new dad. First time he'd ever seen the guy, first time he'd ever met the guy, first time he knew that anything was going on between grandma and this guy. So here's the trauma. Daddy's died. We're Chapman's. He's confused. Dad wasn't adopted. There's all that scarring coming into the family. And then suddenly along comes this guy who's not my dad's dad. So my dad's lost his dad. His dad's dad has never had a dad. And now the dad that's brought in is not really his dad. This is your new dad. His name was Jack Platt. Now, I don't blame, blame my grandmother. She was a wonderful, 
a wonderful, loving lady who I loved greatly, a, a rather large lady. They were always cuddly as grandmas. But my Granny Platt, who I loved dearly, I, I can't blame her for, for the circumstances because there was nothing to fall back on and the truth was she, now, she, had, she had five children to my great-grandfather, right? To my grandfather, five children to my grandfather. He's now dead, he has no job, she has no income, she has five children to raise and feed. And there's no social security office to float down and say, oh, well, I've got all these kids, can I have tax credits and benefits to look after me kids? Nothing. She's living on handouts from my great-grandparents who lived across the street and from two uncles that lived in the street, but had no way to sustain her life, pay her rent, would have been thrown out of the house that she was in, and in similar circumstances to my grandfather's, my grandfather's mother. So I don't, I don't blame her. Do you know, we've got to be careful when we look at people's lives and see the decisions that they make that we have been sensitive to the story that brought them to that day. Whether that's in a personal arena, a financial arena, a friendship arena, a sexual arena, a gender arena, we have to have some sense that what brought this person to this day, because moments are never just moments, but we experience the moment, but the moments are never just moments. Now the sad thing is that Jack Platt, who my grandmother married, to father the children who didn't have a father from a father who never had a father, turned out to be abusive and would beat up my grandmother. He would drink, come home, beat up grandma. So as a boy, not yet a teenager, my dad slept with a fire poker under his pillar. Some of you don't even know what a fire is or coal. It's the thing you poke the coal fire with when the embers are dying down. It's steel and it's about yay long. My father slept from not yet a teenager, slept with a poker under his pillow. The reason was this, that he and his brother Bill, who was only just a teenager, went and told Jack Platt who grandma had married, their new dad, if we see or hear you hitting mom, we will kill you. And he knew that they meant it. So he wouldn't hit grandma while the boys were around because he knew the boys would defend mom. Why was all that aggression even coming in? Because dad didn't have a dad, and his dad didn't have a dad, and the dad who was supposed to be the dad wasn't really a dad. So the moment is never just the moment. And imagine if they'd have finished up in court. They didn't, thankfully, but imagine if they'd have finished up in court. Youngster and teenage boy beats dad to death with poker, but you see the moment's never just the moment. In the good things, the moment's never just the moment. And so dad grew up fatherless, 
And as a provider at 14, he got a job at 14 and was working. Do you know what he did every, every time he got his wage? This continued while he was still at home. And when he got married, the same thing continued. He would go and earn his money. He would come home on payday because she got paid real money then in a wage packet, a little crinkly little packet with the pay slip in. How many of you remember those days? Dad would come home to his mom, 14-year-old boy, put all his wage packet on the table. If he had any pocket money, it's because his mum gave it back to him. Because he wanted her to be fed and helped and protected and looked after. She, she had been his source of love. Now, Dad continued that when he got married. He never... My dad always walked in on a Thursday, which was payday, put the, put the pay packet on the table for mum. And, uh, you know, if you want to give me some pocket money, you can. Otherwise, that's the provision. 14. Some of you don't even want a full-time job when you're in your 20s. 14. Supporting the family. Some of you don't even want to part with rent to your parents. 14. Supporting the family, along with Bill, who was just as, as committed. So Dad knew how to provide and how to protect, but listen to me but he didn't really know how to father. And so I knew a wonderful man who knew how to love, provide, and protect, but didn't know how to father. Now, I'm not here. I, I honor my dad was wonderful. I absolutely love him to bits. But you see, the moments never just the moment, and when I look back, how was my dad supposed to know some things that you say, well, that can't be true. I'm his son. I'm the only child of the family. I'm the one best placed to know. Now, that doesn't mean he was abusive. He was never abusive. He was loving and providing. But in the context of being a father to a son, my dad had no model. His model was to be loved to provide and to protect, and he did that wonderfully. Now, do you know what happens with that? I didn't know how to be a father to my son. I didn't know how to set the right values for how I connected and related and worked with him and struggled even with, with Connie, my daughter, even though we'd learned some things. And I'm so grateful to God for a third chance with a grandson because I'm probably learning more about fatherhood now at 60 years of age with a grandson and, and it fills me with regret of what I could not provide because the moment's never just the moment. So what, what he grew up with was a profoundly dependable mother who was the model, who raised eight kids with a deep love for God and a faith in Jesus that were her strength and shield in the midst of pain, loss, and struggle. So is it any surprise that my dad finished up with the deep love for God and the faith in Jesus that took him past all the pain, the loss, and the struggle? I'll say some more about that in a moment, but, but I want to just bring this around to, to a little connection with Christmas and why I'm talking to you, because... This last week I've been reading the book of Luke and you should read the book of Luke. It's phenomenally written. 
if you don't have a Bible, you can pull it up on Safari, just Google it. Pull up a dozen different free Bibles on your, your phone, your tab, anything. Or if you want a real Bible, I'll give you one. But the moment Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Savior of the world was born, was not just a moment. Remember, a moment's not just a moment. What my dad lived was a story, and I'm part of that story, and I want to show you how within that story to make a difference. But it was the same with Jesus. I couldn't get past the first two chapters of the book of Luke. Now, 2,700 years ago, a prophet called Isaiah prophesied the impact, get this word, that redemption would have on the story. Redemption's a wonderful word because redemption means that something that was taken away from you, a suitable price was paid so you could have it back. Be like some of the shops we have now where you can bring your stuff in if you need a bit of extra cash for cash converters, that kind of stuff, but better. And redemption is a Bible word because, because it's really screaming out, and really this is the essence of Christmas, that, that, that what was taken away, what was lost, what was bartered because of another situation, what happened outside of your control what happened, there is a way that those things can actually come back to you. So what was lost is returned. What was broken is fixed. What was taken away is given back. And 2,700 years ago, Isaiah prophesied the impact that redemption would have on the story. Here's what he said in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, classic scripture that we read at Christmas. The people... Walking in darkness, that's the condition. Their light's been taken away. The compassion, the concern, the love, the help of a father, been taken away. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death... A light has dawned. That's called redemption. And this was in an environment where there was no shortage of religious belief and convinced, and convinced specialness. Oh, we're so jolly special. God says, no, you're in darkness. And there's a shadow of death over you. It must have been quite a shock to be told that they were walking in darkness and living in the land of the shadow of death. Listen to me, our unwillingness to face the truth and reality of our own situation can be sometimes staggering to say the least. The way you deal with fatherlessness and abuse and rejection and humiliation and shame is not to pretend that it never happened. It's to understand the moment is never the moment, but this was written into our story, that we can have a moment, we can have a moment beyond the moment, because the people living in darkness seen a great light, and those in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, we know who Isaiah was talking about. We know that it was about the birth of Jesus, 
and that he, Jesus, being the one who would come to redeem the story. That's the point tonight. Someone came to redeem the story. Not just the moment, because the moment's never the moment. What's redeeming is the story. My dad didn't need somebody just to come along and say, I'm sorry you lost your dad. Or some idiot to come and say, God must have needed another angel in heaven. I'm not a violent man, (laughs) but you can make me violent if I hear you come out with that kind of nonsense. My father needed something to redeem the story. And my father became who he was because of a redemption of the story. But some of the damage that was healed in him, unfortunately, passed to me. Not because it was his fault, but because our stories were interlinked. And I have had to have a redemption in my story. But the same redemption for my dad is the same redemption for me and will be the same redemption for you. Whatever your story has been and however it has been written and by whom because here's what Isaiah goes on to say for to us a child is born to us a son is given the government will be on his shoulders not yours and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this God has zeal to redeem your story the first two chapters of Luke's gospel are a great reminder that moments are never just moments. That's what shook me as I read it over and over and over again this week. Because Luke catalogues not just the birth of Jesus, the moment, but the content of the story that brings us to what became an amazing moment. And so here's a summary. From Zachariah and Elizabeth, the soon-to-be parents of John the Baptist, who were old and childless, And for Zachariah, who had his once-in-a-lifetime selection to light the incense in the temple sanctuary, got a visitation and a promise that would result in the birth of John the Baptist. Their story was being redeemed. But in the redemption of their story was the redemption of other people's story. Because he goes on to say that to Mary, who was probably around 16, incidentally, at the time. Rough guess, a lot of history that we could put on that. But to Mary, probably around 16 and innocent, but needed and, necess- but needed and necessary. And all the challenges that agreement would bring with it. It was all part of the same story. Even Mary's agreement for what the angel was saying to her was going to bring challenges with it. But a redemption of the story was already building. And he takes us to the birth of John the Baptist and what his father says or sings about a coming redemption. Redemption starts slipping in there. He takes us to the journey to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. To the valuing of the shepherds. You think, oh, well, the angels appeared to shepherds. You've got to realize the moment is not just the moment. For shepherds to be chosen to herald the birth of Jesus was like picking my grandfather, the bastard son of Elizabeth Chapman, who became Elizabeth Haywood, to be your spokesperson and representative because his shame was lifted and condemnation was gone and now his life is valued. That's why the shepherds 
He takes us to the prophesying of an old man called Simeon who was set that he would not die until he had had his moment through the Messiah. This dude's old and he's like, I am not dying until I've had my moment through the Messiah. I'm looking for him to come. Why? Because there was a story to redeem. To an old lady called Anna, widowed for over 70 years, who refused to leave her place praying and worshiping in the temple, looking for the moment redemption would be revealed. She knew that within this there is a redemption for the story because the moment's not just the moment. And you see how that word and theme of redemption keep popping up. We would do well to remember that all stories begin and have the bulk of their content long before the notable moment that everyone remembers. Many of you will remember my dad for screaming out glory and frightening some of you half to death as he... See, we do well to remember all stories begin and have the bulk of their content long before the notable moment that everyone remembers. I'm giving you stories that are behind that glory and why my dad saw something as glorious because there was a story that was redeemed and in our maternal name that in essence through our history would read it carries the shame we have been redeemed. No longer bearing shame. But amazingly, God choosing somebody like me who came out of that to somehow hopefully say some things to inspire some people to get a redemption for their story as well. We have no control over the backstory. And for some of you, I know you've not shared it with anybody, but those you're the closest to, but I know you have a backstory. Some of you are ashamed of your backstory. Some of you try to wish it away. It ain't going away. The story is the story is the story. We have no control over the backstory, but we do control our response to the situation that it creates and the questions that it asks of us. See, it does two things. It creates a situation. Here's my dad growing up in that family, lost his dad. New dad, beats them, all that stuff. It, it, create, it creates that, so, so, so it, it, it creates a situation that we cannot avoid, but it also poses questions that we must answer, questions about ourselves, questions about how we will respond to this, questions about what we're going to do next, questions about whether we will allow redemption to come, Like considering all the questions that young girl said, let it be to me as you have said, I believe there is a redemption for me in what I am being told. The good news is that the backstory may form the moment, but there is a way that we can determine what the moment forms. Let me say that again. The good news is the backstory may form the moment, but there is a way that we can determine what the moment forms. That's called redemption. And our moments can become special when we live in the redemption rather than the he 
story and all it has forced upon us. Let me say a little word about that before we close and pray. Moments can become special when we live in the redemption story rather than the he story and all that that has forced upon us. See, history is that thing that pops up and says, hi, I'm your story. That's why it's hi story, he story. How many of you know that history has a habit of popping up and saying, hi, I'm your story. Hey, William Chapman, born out of wedlock in a society that didn't understand it nor accept it. Here's your story. You are considered by society a bastard and an outcast. Hi, here's your story, Elizabeth. You're a slut. You did what you did. You won't work. You won't go home. You go to the workhouse. Hi, Albert Chapman. Here's the story. Your dad's gone. This is your new dad. Hi, Albert Chapman. Here's your new dad that beats your mum. Do you know, my dad, when he was just coming up 20, was sent by mum to Pontefract to face Jack Platt because Jack Platt had been having an affair and grandma suspected it. And dad was the one sent to confront Jack about the affair. So now the guy who beats his mum, who they threatened, who's now given her three children, four children, now has cheated on his mum, and mum is now left again, rejected, alone. Hi, I'm your story. And for some of you, that's what happens to you. You try to get a breakthrough and goes, Hi, I'm your story. Hi, I'm your story. Unless you get redemption, Hi, story, will be your story. But you see, the whole point of Jesus coming is there is a redemption story that breaks the power of his story and changes lives. To us a child is born, to us a son is given because those living in darkness have seen a great light. And to those who are under the shadow of death, a light has fallen. 2,700 years before Jesus it was prophesied and 2,000 years after he was born what was prophesied has been justified as true. He is the saviour and he is the redeemer who will rewrite your story with redemption's love if you will let him So is it high, I'm your story, or is it redemption that is your story? I thank God for my dad, for all he went through, for the struggles that he faced. I appreciate who he was. I've learned from that. I appreciate it. I need Joel to forgive me and help him the same way that I had to look at my dad because he had no model. I had no real model. We were doing our best and I know that we loved, but we've been trying and so it is with so many of us. But the truth is in all of that, that is our story, whatever your story is, there is redemption.
And redemption is through the one who God sent because he is the redeemer of our story. Just, just bow your heads with me just for a moment. Got about three or four minutes. So, if your story needs redeeming, you, obviously you don't, you don't need me in one sense, but, but for some of you it might help. Because sometimes we don't want to answer the questions that our history is asking us or to face the situation that our history has given us. But, but when we do, when we do, when we own that, that's when redemption steps into our story, changes our story, buys it back, gets us back what was taken away, gives us what we bartered for what we thought we were going to get, pays the debt, that we find ourselves owing. So you may be able to do it on your own. Some of you can. This is not a word. But if there's anybody here tonight that feels it would help me if you would lay hands on me and just agree with me that redemption comes into my story now, then I'm willing to do that. If there's nobody, it doesn't matter. But if that's you, just come up the front right now. I'll put my hands on you. And we will declare redemption's story over what creeps cropping up in your life, saying, hi, I'm your story. Redemption story. Bought back and brought back. That's why some of these old songs have some tremendous words. One song says, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like we is praise should sing. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. That's the redemption story. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And it's the story that Jesus comes and writes into our place where it said, Hi, I'm your story. I am a trophy of the grace of God plucked out of a situation that should have never allowed me to be who I was because the moment's never just the moment and my dad became a trophy of that grace and my grandmother became a trophy of that grace and tonight I want you to be a trophy of that grace. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. It's time to close the page on Hi, I'm your story. Close the page on it. Hi, I'm your story. Come to the page of redemption, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Take those words as your story. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like we 
his praise should sing. So thank you, Father, you're with us tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're already at work putting this word deep within our soul, deep within the genes of, of who we are and making redemption a reality for us. And we praise you and bless you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I think that's it. Don't forget Wednesday night. We're going to have a good time of conversation, review and discussion. And then, uh, yeah, a summary. And then, um, you know, for you guys who are still working, Grotto, I bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know it's hard work and we used to get told you'll get your reward in heaven for what that's worth. I'm like, well, I quite, I, I quite like a little something now if, uh, if that's all right. But... Pending that, you will get your reward in heaven, whatever that means, wherever that is. But we know that it's real. So be blessed, appreciate you, and we love you, and uh, anywhere we can help you, give us a shout. All right, we're done. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.